episode 44. Today, I talk to Jake Sattelmeyer about individualizing population health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I really enjoyed my conversation with Jake Sattelmeyer, a founder and epidemiologist from Wellframe. We talk about Wellframe's very successful cardio rehab pilot, i.e. how to significantly get more patients to participate in cardio rehab. We talk about how to deal with social determinants, the social factors that severely limit the outcomes of, of vulnerable patient populations. And we go down at least six or seven sidebars. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin Healthcom. Today, I'm speaking with Jake Sattelmeyer from Wellframe. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Jake. Thanks, Stacy. Good to speak with you. Wellframe, could you just give us the the top line? What what is Wellframe? Sure. We're a, a Boston-based company that's bringing together engineers and clinicians and data scientists and designers that are working on using technology in novel ways to better organize the resources of the healthcare system around the needs of patients and all the moments in between formal interaction. So all those moments between when the patient's in the hospital or in the clinic, thinking about how we can extend the reach of clinical services to help provide guidance and support to patients on a day-to-day basis. So is this primarily post-discharge, patients in the hospital, and they get hooked up with Wellframe, or is this bigger or smaller than that? Yeah, it's a great question. So post-discharge or transitional care is definitely one of the primary is where we work, but we also work in chronic care management. So the way that our platform works is it, it's a mobile platform for care management and patient engagement. So the goal is really to close the gap between clinical resources and patients with need. And the way that we do that is by delivering care plans to patients through a mobile application on a day-to-day basis based on a really simple interactive daily health checklist that's based on their condition their needs, um, their kind of clinical and life context. And as patients interact with that care plan, they generate a good amount of data about how and what they're doing that we can share with clinical resources, typically a care manager, uh, a nurse, a case manager, a coach, to give them real-time insight into how their patients are doing once they once they leave or, or, or when they're not there. And then we provide a mobile channel for the care manager to be able to send guidance, feedback, support, encouragement back to the patients. And we run a lot of analytics on the data that we capture to help the care manager know which of their patients might have a high level of need on any given day and where they should allocate their resources. And so these programs could be in transitional care. So, you know, how to help the patient when they go from from hospital to home. But we also enable programs around around chronic care management. So for patients with chronic conditions that would otherwise be in a a telephonic care management program, we work on making those programs more appealing, lower friction for the patient, and and more more efficient and and more scalable for, for the care management team. When you say chronic care management, are you using the term in the same way that CMS is using the term? 
<laughs> it's, it's broader than that, right? So we work with both health plans as well as healthcare delivery organizations that are managing risk around patient outcomes and are investing in clinical resources, um, which I'll broadly define as care management, which could include, you know, case management, disease management, even some, some primary prevention components. But they're typically hiring, you know, as a, as a simple example, nurses that are, that are tasked with supporting and guiding patients on an ongoing basis. It could be through a transitional care period. It could be through a much longer period for patients with chronic conditions. And the, the, historically, the way that this has been done is through the telephone, right? Uh, especially on the, on the health plan side, you'll have a, a group of nurses typically in a call center that will be using workflow software to pick up the patients that have been flagged as having a high level of risk based on analysis of, of claims data and calling the patients and asking them how they're doing and providing guidance to them over the phone and then documenting that and then calling them back again in, you know, typically a few months time. And so for the care manager, you know, they have to manually call every patient in order to provide support to them. And then to the patient, they may only get a phone call once every few months, right? And so with our platform, we're enabling a patient to get daily guidance by task shifting some of the information collection and, and guidance that the care manager would otherwise provide on the phone. And for the care manager, we're giving them all this new insight into how their panel of patients are doing and which of those patients might need support or might need a reach out that day. And instead of enabling only live interaction, we're also enabling asynchronous communication that's secure and HIPAA compliant. So this is this has been going on in the U.S. for decades, historically with health plans and more and more now as healthcare providers are taking on financial risk over patients is happening in the provider or point of care context. So the chronic care management kind of reimbursement billing code is formalizing some of this for providers, I think, to accelerate adoption of these programs. But, you know, these programs have been going on for, for some time. Before I ask you the, the next question, I just want to make a note of something which I read on your website and you also just said, which is this word task shifting. I never have heard that word before, but it is, and maybe this is just highlighting what a nerd I am, but wow, what a great and far more, I don't know, human way to say, you know, a hybrid of human and technology <laughs> or something like that. Task yeah. shifting. I wrote it well, down. I made a note. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the goal for us is to use technology to do what technology is good at, to free humans up to do what they're good at, right? And, you know, technology is really good at doing repeatable processes at large scale, humans are really good at doing very kind of specific and, and nuanced tasks, maybe at smaller scale. So to ask a, a care manager to basically provide telephonic surveys to hundreds of patients every month, when that could be done in a way that's lower friction and more appealing for the patient through a, through a mobile channel, and then freeing that care manager up to have very human, real, personal, targeted interactions with patients based on their need, you know, just a better allocation of resources. At Wellframe, we don't believe that technology alone is the solution. We don't believe that just giving patients an app or a device or a sensor or a website or a portal will deliver enough value to sustain the kind of engagement that's necessary in order to have an impact. But we think that technology can be used to extend that human relationship and that human care to help patients feel more connected, more cared for, more supported on an ongoing basis in a way that makes a meaningful impact on their behaviors, on their healthcare decision making, as well as on their overall kind of psychological or 
emotional state, which we know is really important in terms of informing the way that they're going to interact with their own health as well as with the healthcare system. So in that way, it's really about figuring about what pieces can technology do well, what pieces can humans do well, and then using technology as a way of amplifying the impact of those human resources and that human care. And I think that makes us a little bit different than a lot of technology companies that kind of see technology as a solution. And we just think that, especially for patients that have a high level of need, that that just doesn't quite make sense. What was the exact moment? You know, tell me about the exact moment when the light bulb went off in your head and you thought to yourself, hmm, I need to start a company and I'm going to call it Wellframe. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think there was any exact moment. It was really an evolution. And I think one of the interesting things about Wellframe is we were founded by four people from very diverse backgrounds that have come together and brought complementary views on this problem that's allowed us to tackle it in a way that may be a little bit different than what some other folks have thought about. Just to give you a sense, I'm one of the co-founders and I'm an epidemiologist by training. I focused a lot on lifestyle behavior and chronic disease risk and prevention coming from the Harvard School of Public Health. And I was always frustrated that the gap between what we know and what people do in the real world is really big and not likely to be solved purely through research. And so, you know, I fell in love with the idea that technology could be used as a way of influencing people's health behaviors and healthcare decision making at scale. But through real world experience as a product manager at several health tech companies, I realized that that's often, you know, it's really hard to do and a lot of reasons why that typically fails. So I was, I was fascinated with what contexts are conducive to success and what are the real needs of patients and how, to, how can technology be used to, to meet those needs as opposed to just pushing the rope on, on people that aren't really looking for support. Our chief medical officer is a primary care physician who ran a, a practice in London under the NHS and had about 10,000 patients under full capitation, so at full risk. So it was doing a lot of population health management using pretty basic but effective tools there and came to the U.S. to, to study and then had a lecture position at MIT where he's advancing new ways of using technology to upskill health workers. So he was always focused on how to use technology to kind of re-engineer care delivery, to shift care to lower cost settings, to enable people to operate at the top of the license. And so we've kind of met in the middle in terms of thinking about how to extend the reach of the healthcare system and healthcare services while also enabling patients to be a part of that process and really closing that loop. And then our other co-founders are both computer scientists from MIT, right? So they're coming from systems engineering, machine learning, data science backgrounds, and thinking about the healthcare problem kind of as, as an engineering problem and how technology can be used as a part of that workflow and as a part of that system as opposed to something separate from that. So it was a very diverse group of people with very different ways of thinking about the world and thinking about the problem. I think it's allowed us to bring components of everybody's kind of skills and backgrounds together to build a solution that is meeting the needs of patients and clinicians and from a technology perspective is, and from a data science perspective. Is, is increasingly advanced. Maybe you could give an example of Wellframe in action. And this is what I'm particularly interested in. There seems to be a proliferation these days of coaching apps and just technology and, and various hybrids of all shapes and sizes right now. The, the one thing that I did see that at least is more prominent and perhaps this is because you're an epidemiologist, that population health is is mentioned more prominently on your, your website than I've seen on other apps of this nature. But, you know, maybe you could talk about how 
your platform has been used and what specifically Wellframe does, which is unique? Sure. Let me give you one example of where Wellframe has been used. And then I'll talk to you a little bit about the approach that we've taken and how it differs from a lot of, you know, as you said, kind of coaching apps and, and things of that sort. The very first implementation that we did was a program for patients recovering after a heart attack. And in this case, there's a validated protocol for optimizing recovery for those patients in order to prevent those patients from having another heart attack. And it's called cardiac rehab. And it involves, you know, supervised exercise and uh, education and support around everything from taking medications to nutrition to managing um, symptoms to knowing when it's safe to have sex again, right? There are a lot of different components to this. It's been shown to work really well. It reduces five-year mortality by up to 40%. And about 2 million patients are eligible for this in the U.S. every year. But the problem is that many of the patients don't participate in this program because it typically requires that they show up in clinic. It's expensive. The copay can be pretty high. Patients have to pay for parking. They have to take time off work. There are a lot of challenges here, right? And so what we this was kind of the, the impetus or the first clinical use case for, for Wellframe. We said, look, let's take what we know works and make it more accessible to more people. So what we did is we delivered the protocol of cardiac rehab to patients through this daily health checklist on a native mobile application, like a smartphone or a tablet. And it included things like reminders to take their medications, delivering educational content through videos and articles, reinforcing some of the core messages that they would otherwise get in clinic. We use the accelerometer in the smartphone to track their daily physical activity, which is a core part of recovery for a patient with heart disease. We delivered surveys and screenings and symptom checks to make sure that they were progressing through the program effectively. And, and if we, we were screening for any secondary complications or comorbidities, for instance, like mild depression, tends to be fairly common for patients during this time. And as they went through this program, we shared all that data with their with a cardiac nurse who was able to supervise how the patients were doing and then send them messages to guide and support them through the time. So from the patient's perspective, once now they left the hospital and they had this program helping them every day to simplify what they needed to do, and they felt more connected to their cardiac nurse than if they had just in this case, seeing her in clinic once every week or once every few days. And then for the cardiac nurse, she was able to help support patients through this through this process, identify which patients were doing really well, which patients needed more support, and have more informed conversations with the patients and not have to ask them retrospectively, you know, what have you been doing for the last week? How have you been doing? Could have a kind of real-time view into what was, what was happening. And this was a three-month program of recovery. So this is in that kind of transitional care window. And at the end of that, when, you know, we did a, a a clinical study in this. We had very high levels of patient engagement and patient adherence. We were able to improve the, the efficiency of the, of the care management service. We were able to improve retention in the program. And at the end of that, the majority of patients said, you know what, we actually want to keep going. We like the fact that this helps us to simplify what we need to do each day. This like, you know, we like that this, this helps us stay more connected. So we extended this to, to a, a more of a maintenance program to, to keep patients on the right track and progress them toward, you know, healthy kind of cardiovascular metabolic lifestyle and behaviors. And now some of those patients are now a year and a half after discharge and, and are still actively engaged and getting occasional messages from, from the cardiac nurse in that, in that case. So that's just one kind of example where we were able to take a protocol that's been known, known to work and extend the reach of a clinical service to deliver that program and reduce the friction for patients to participate. Now, since then, we've expanded to well over a dozen different clinical areas across chronic care as well as trans 
transitional care. And then also other programs that focus on things like medication management or medication adherence during, you know, during different periods of time for different patients. So hopefully that's a gives you some sense of kind of how it can work. It operates a little bit differently if we're if we're working with a health plan that is is managing risk across a broad population and delivering different programs for different patients, or a provider that's typically picking patients up, you know, at point of care, whether at discharge or in clinic. But still the providers that we tend to work with are those that have taken on risk for patients and are thinking about things in a way that's more similar to what a health plan historically would. So I'll pause there in case you have any questions, and then I can talk a little bit about where we're different or the approach that we've taken. In a way, the first implementation of the model is almost like um, virtual cardio rehab. Is that how you describe it? Yeah, exactly. And actually, in this case, it was kind of a hybrid model where we weren't saying that patients shouldn't go to the clinic because that can be really important. But it meant that patients had reinforcement in between those visits. Or for some patients that couldn't go as often or couldn't go at all, they had an alternative model, right? So patients that otherwise wouldn't have gotten any support, now they had a way of, of getting that care. And in general, right, that's that's consistent with our with our ethos. We're not trying to replace human care or human interaction. We just appreciate that there are limits to the scalability of that interaction. For a lot of the organizations we work with, you know, if, if they could send a care manager home with every patient to work with them on all these things every day, they'd get great results, right? But the, the economics of doing that just doesn't work and that doesn't scale. And so when we think about the use of technology, we think about how can we approximate that experience as much as possible, knowing that we're never going to fully you know, simulate that. But for many patients who are now preferring to interact and communicate through mobile, and these, these aren't you know, just young, healthy, fit, motivated people, right? These are seniors. These are patients with multiple complex comorbidities. These are patients with mental health challenges. They're preferring to use mobile to connect and to engage in every other area of their lives. And so they see this as a natural window or channel through which to get support and interact with the health system. And that gives us a lot of opportunities as we, you know, as we extend and establish these relationships to layer on other capabilities, other transactional components, other kind of tracking components on, on the back end of that. Well, one of the things that I found really interesting about your cardio rehab example is that I'm actually working on a project right now where it has come up multiple times the difficulties of getting patients into cardio rehab after an acute event yep. and just the amount of agita that that causes yep. the provider institution. And one of the things that comes up as a reason for the lack of return are all the things that you mentioned, yep. but the kind of the, the core underpinning of a lot of it is this term that I don't think I'd had heard of maybe a year ago, but now it, it's, I probably hear it and say it three times a day, which is social determinants. The yep. patient can't get a ride or they can't get off work or they don't, you know, there, there's a million reasons outside of, of clinical why a patient can't get back into cardio rehab. It would seem like a program like yours that someone wouldn't need a lift could be an interesting solution. Do you have any understanding of, of how a, a program like yours would work for people who tend to fall into those affected by social determinants, which is lower socioeconomic, maybe not non-English speakers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we can zoom out a little bit and this is certainly the case in, in cardiac rehab, but it's actually the case for any 
organization focusing on improving health outcomes across a population, right? It's typically individuals that are socially vulnerable, that have behavioral health comorbidities, you know, that have other life challenges that prevent them from being proactive about their health and care, from self-managing their conditions that really tend to lead to the, the most challenging, the most challenging cases and the highest cost. So these are absolutely crucial. It's not, you know, working with the kind of ideal patient, so to speak, that's very motivated and has access to all the resources and has a lot of family support is is relatively easy versus the patient that's living in an environment where they may not have the financial wherewithal to, 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 to refill their medications. They may not have support from the family. They may not have access to, to get to clinic, things like that. So I think that there's certainly an opportunity there. And to be honest with you, a lot of the partners that we work with, those are the patients, those are the individuals that they're really focused on engaging and where we focus using our technology, right, is making it appealing, making it accessible, making it easy to use so that individuals that may not have a, a long history with technology and may not otherwise be be focused on these things are, are able to use it as well. So as an example, one of our partners recently implemented our platform in the context of a care management service for young adults with mental health and substance abuse issues. And this was in the context of a a state mental health Medicaid program, right? So these were young adults that were typically um, in in challenging environments that, um, you know, had behavioral health and substance abuse issues on top of other other health issues. And in those cases, they actually provided the mobile device to those individuals and then, you know, use that as their channel to extend the support of the care manager. And there are certainly challenges to working with socially vulnerable populations, but there's also a huge opportunity because they're getting a lot of level of care and a level of service that they haven't necessarily had before and tend to derive a lot of value from that. And, and in general, we see that the, the patients or the individuals using our application that have the highest level of clinical need, the highest level of, emo- of emotional need, that have the most acute health issues tend to be the most engaged and, and the most satisfied because it's actually meeting a real need of theirs, right? Which is to, to get support, to feel connected, to, 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 to get guidance during periods of vulnerability. So I think that it fits very well. And I think that, you know, as mobile has emerged as what I'd consider the most scalable yet intimate channel through which to reach patients, it gives the the healthcare system an opportunity to do things that it hasn't been able to do before because some of, you know, because of some of the financial logistical challenges that you're referring to. Let's talk about comorbidities for a sec, because this is another area which I see providers and, and, and payers are frequently stymied by for good reason. On your system, you had mentioned several times that there's individualized care care plans and that what we're trying to do here is manage patients with complex comorbidities. And, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that I do see a lot is that you've got a patient that has, you know, I don't know, lower back pain, and then they also have some cardiac condition. Yep. And for the cardiac condition, they're supposed to be exercising. And but then for their lower <laughs> yeah. back, they can't. Yeah. You know, so how do these care plans get created at a population? You know, how are you managing individualized care plans for a patient with the need to codify those plans across a population? This is a an area we spend a lot of time focusing on and one where we're investing a lot of resources across 
clinical and engineering and kind of data science, right? And so one of the big challenges of the kind of care management, disease management industry, I guess, has been how to provide appropriate uh, and effective support for the more complex patients with comorbidities. And a lot of the a lot of the software and a lot of the programs that have existed historically have really just tackled one thing at a time. So for the patient that has heart failure and diabetes and depression and say, okay, for the next six months, we're just going to focus on the heart failure. Then we'll switch you to a diabetes module. Then we'll switch you to a depression module. But as I think you're, you're suggesting, patients are not characterized by a disease or by a condition, right? They have a broader set of needs that may or may not have anything to do with one condition. And the needs around one issue may challenge or interfere with the needs around another. On the other hand, if you rely on a care manager to develop a personalized bespoke program for every patient, you know, every day, then that's not very scalable. And that takes up a lot of time and energy. So we are constantly working on getting that balance right so that the, you know, the programs that we deliver are scalable, yet we allow the system and the care manager to learn about the more personalized needs of each patient to kind of iteratively adapt those programs according to the evolving needs of the patient over time. So as an example, the programs that we deliver include different modules, and those modules can be adapted for patients with you know multiple conditions or, or needs. And then as the patient progresses through a program and we learn about how those needs evolve, the modules or the components of that program can evolve as well. And that's based on information that we pick up uh, relative to how the patient's interacting with their care plan every day, as well as insight that the care manager has based on you know his or her observation of the patient or interactions with the patient, as well as in some cases, um, data that we may pick up from a clinical or a claim source that indicate new health issues or, or changing needs for that patient over time. The idea is that the programs that we deliver become increasingly personalized, increasingly adaptive to, to meet those kind of nuanced needs of patients that, that may have more more challenging or, or, or diverse set of, of, of issues that they're dealing with. At a patient level, does that look like patient comes in the door, case manager, nurse looks at that patient, sees that they have depression as well as diabetes, for example, takes the module for depression, takes a look at it, takes the message, the module for diabetes, takes a look at it, and then it's them that is stitching those two uh, modules together in order to form that daily checklist? So there are, there are a few different ways of doing it depending on the depending on the context. So sometimes those things are known about the patient ahead of time based on uh, a clinical or a claims record. So basically when that patient onboards, we can call from that record, identify what those needs are, and activate the appropriate modules or components of a program for them. In some cases, if we don't have that information, as you suggested, the care manager can essentially assign those. And in some cases, as we ask the patient questions over time, we can learn about new needs that may not have been known previously, but are important for that patient. And it's not always a disease. It's not always clinical, right? It could be other issues or questions or challenges that the that the patient might have that are irrespective of any condition, right? Like maybe they're looking for help understanding their medications a little bit more, or, you know, maybe some of their challenges are more kind of social or family type challenges that are really important and have a significant impact on 
how they on how they manage their conditions or how they interact with a care plan, but are non-clinical in nature. So, you know, we start with the clinical components, but recognize that to be optimally efficacious, we need to take into account a holistic set of needs for a patient that in some cases may have nothing to do with their clinical needs, but may be really important in terms of getting at the ultimate outcome. It's kind of a question of the technology itself will deliver what it feels is the optimal care plan. Nurse takes a look at it, might edit it a bit. It is delivered to the patient and then via machine learning, the the program can update in two ways. You know, well, it can update vis-a-vis the program realizes that based on what the patient is doing and the self-management boxes that they're checking, things might alter, but then also the nurse could get in there and, and, and alter things as well. Yeah, no, I, I think that's largely right. Two caveats there. Number one is, you know, this starts with fairly basic things and we continue to invest in making this more and more sophisticated, more and more nuanced, right? It's a really hard thing to do well. And so that's something that we're we're really focusing on as we continue to build out our platform over time. The second I'd say is I, I want to be careful to clarify that it's not the technology making decisions around what care the patient gets. We have a clinical team that works with the clinical leadership of our partner organizations to confer on the the content, the programs, the rules governing what gets delivered. And it's the technology that kind of executes the implementation of those rules. And I think that, you know, that's an important clarification because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach and different organizations that we work with have different priorities, have different clinical paradigms, have different workflows, have different resources available. So, So we make sure that though we invest a lot in foundational programs, and protocols and content, that those are are configured to the needs of our partners to make sure that it's consistent with their clinical infrastructure and that we're executing their their wishes or their ideals, right? If that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Where can people find out more about Wellframe if they are interested? The easiest is just to go to wellframe.com. Our website contains some information about what our product does and the value that we deliver and the team that we bring to the table. From there, you can also get more information or identify who you want to talk to and things like that. Fantastic. Well, it has been a pleasure to speak with you, Jake. It's been a pleasure to speak with you as well. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. We would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.